0: So for nearly a decade, I was an executive director of a medium-sized nonprofit, and my staff had this joke, defining my energy level with a Starbucks metaphor. They'd say, have you seen Joan today? Oh, sure have, they'd say, beware. She's not a grande, she's a venti. Now, it had to do with my energy level. It wasn't like I was on a warpath or anything like that. I was just on the path to burnout. And inviting each of my staff to join me on that path. I have made myself sick, I have made others sick. There I said it. Today I'm talking to one of the most preeminent nonprofit bloggers, Beth Cantor. If you don't subscribe to her blog or follow her on social media, as soon as this podcast is over, you will. I guarantee it. As Beth says in her new book, "The Happy. Healthy Nonprofit, Strategies for Impact Without Burnout. Quote, working for a nonprofit that has limited resources can be a pressure cooker, end quote. An environment that can be the express train to burnout. It's time to get real about it and not accept it as a reality. Beth advocates in her book for a new reality, not to be confused with an alternative universe because I, I, I think that's probably the subject of some other podcast. Welcome to
1: Nonprofits are Messy, Not Enough Money, Too Many Cooks, and An Abundance of Passion. Leading nonprofits isn't easy. Joan Gary, the dear Abby of nonprofits,
0: gets it, and she is here to help. I'm lucky today, and so are you. I'm chatting with Beth Cantor. Beth is an internationally recognized thought leader and trainer, specializing in networks, social media, and data. She says she says she's worked on every continent but Antarctica. So if you have leads for her, I know that she would appreciate that. She's dedicated to the nonprofit space and particularly to helping organizations build the capacity to increase the scope and impact of their work. Named one of the most influential women in technology by Fast Company and one of Business Week's voices of innovation for social Social media, she is the author of the Networked Nonprofit Books, which, by the way, Beth, are required reading in my nonprofit communications class at UPenn. And her new book will be published next month, which is like in 20 minutes. It's called the Happy Healthy Nonprofit Strategies for Impact Without Burnout. Beth, I'm really glad you're here. Oh, I'm so
1: delighted to be here with you, Joan. Thank you
0: for You're welcome. Oh, gosh. Yes. So I feel a big sense of responsibility because of the size and scope of this topic. Listeners are going to have a million questions, but I realize that this is a um, 30-minute podcast and not a documentary. So I've tried to narrow down the questions to ones I feel like our listeners would benefit most from hearing from you. So many of you know and many who know and admire your work know you as an expert in networks and data. Why a book on burnout or rather on self-care? Well,
1: let me tell you that story. Um, Back in 2013, I was launching my second book, Measuring the Network Nonprofit. I was on the road, nonstop. You know, I have two kids, a husband, um, and also at that time, my dad um, was dying of um, uh, Parkinson's. So, And I'm on the West Coast. He was on the East Coast. So you can imagine I wasn't taking care of myself. And so after he passed, and I might add... um, my mother fell right after the funeral and broke her hip, so I spent the summer with her in rehab. I flew home and I, I went to see my doctor because I wasn't feeling so well, and um, my cholesterol numbers came back at 3.99. And if you know anything about those numbers, less than 150. I do.
0: You know, yep. it's healthy. That's a that's a that's a big number.
1: So obviously, I you know I was not taking care of myself. I was eating too many cheeseburgers. I was sitting around, wasn't exercising, and maybe a little bit of tequila. I think, worse, <laughs> <laughs> but even worse than that, it was like nonstop work. You know, um, work, work, work. Um, no downtime, no vacations. Um, because I, you know, I'm passionate about my work, and and so my doctor made this comment. You know, if you just do a little walking, maybe uh, that should help and you won't have to go on Stanton's. So I bought a Fitbit and I started walking and I started a little bit of 5,000 steps a day and then 10,000 right. and 15,000, all with crowdsourced motivation. And I went back and got my test results a couple months later and uh, my cholesterol went down to 120, which is normal range. No That's types.
0: awesome. Right, with right. no drugs.
1: Right. right, no drugs and dropped 40 pounds. Um, and... And so but I felt great. It wasn't all about the health benefits, but I was like, I wasn't procrastinating from work anymore. I wasn't feeling like angry about things. Um I had clarity in my head. And I got really excited about this whole idea of walking as work. And I would talk to my nonprofit colleagues and they say, When do you when do you find the time? You know? How do you work that into your day? And I said, But it's not something separate. It's part of work. When I'm walking, I'm more creative. I think of ideas, you know, I don't have to sit in front of my computer, you know, to be working. Um, And then I got this idea of like, okay, I'm going to write a book on walking meetings. (laughs) And of course, (laughs) my editor said, where's the big idea? Then I happened to go to this uh, uh, networked leadership convening. And I was talking to the New York uh, chapter leader of Black Lives Matter. And he told the story about how they were coming in into, you know, into a meeting and they were doing a check in and everyone's saying, I feel lousy. I feel horrible. I feel angry. You know, I feel burned out. And luckily there was somebody there who works with self-care and said, hey, guys, you need self-care plans. We don't have any money. That sound familiar?
0: Yeah. Yeah. What
1: they did is they they became each other's accountability buddies, and they bartered things. They said, hey, I have a coupon for a massage. And another one said, I'm going to go see my mom on Sundays. And so they were able to create not only self-care plans, but we care. So that's where the idea came from, uh, a book about how social change activists individually can take care of themselves, and then how you create a culture of well-being in the nonprofit workplace or within a network where everybody is taking care of each other.
0: So I have seen, with both in my own experience running a nonprofit, being on a board, uh, and um, through my years as a consultant, sometimes burnout feels like it's almost worn like a badge of honor by non-profit people, uh, EEDs or development directors in this kind of one-upmanship up game, you know? Like, you know, after after three back-to-back meetings, you know, I came back to 420 new emails, and the other one says, well, I came back with 462. I mean, what's, what's up with that? I, I feel like it's really... An epidemic. Why is the nonprofit culture this way, Beth?
1: Oh, God. <laughs> what a great question. There's also two, I only had three hours of sleep, you know, last night and that sort of thing. So, okay. So when we're talking about maybe executive directors, um, I won't presume this, but our generation, we're kind of in the boomers or right below there. We had a, we have a strong sense of service, I think like many other, um, uh, uh, generations, but we've also brought this into the workplace. I think our generation tends to have a lot of workaholism tendencies. Um, I don't yes. know why that is. And we bring that into the workplace. It's also because we're also really passionate about social change. And that passion is amazing because it gets the job done, right? Um, It keeps us going. um, But um, it's also a double-edged sword. It can also lead to to burnout. And so I think that, uh, you know, one of the, the first line in the book, and this came actually from hearing your story, which I thought at first, oh, that's an outlier, you know, where you had, when of your staff members bring a heart monitor into the oh, board meeting. Yeah, no, yeah. It,
0: it wasn't an outlier story.
1: <laughs> no, no, no. I, we've interviewed hundreds of other people, and the line I keep hearing is, why does something bad have to happen before we start taking care of ourselves? And, um, you know, stories and stories of people landing in the hospital, uh, losing their hair, um, passing out. Um, and some of them don't make it out of the hospital, sadly. Um, mm. So... I think we just, we need to change this attitude. Um, So I think,
0: you know, to me, I mean, one of of my observations about this, I'd be interested if you agree, is that this passion leads to, because I also worked in corporate America, and I clearly cared a great deal about my jobs, and I was good at them, and I was invested in them. But in the nonprofit sector, I feel like one of the big differences is that every decision, so if you've, you have to make decisions, right? And there are, let's say there are decisions that run on a scale of 1 to 10, with 1 being lesser, imp- lesser important and number 10 being like the highest, most important decision you have to make. And I feel like that uh, very oftentimes um, <clears throat> people who run nonprofits see all their decisions as 10s. And, yes. un- and it is unsustainable.
1: Yes, uh, we should stop shooting on ourselves. <laughs> right. You no, know, we should, we should. We should. <laughs> you know, well, yesterday, I did a self care uh, workshop over at Museum Camp for Changemakers, and I had You know, executive directors of museums, people who work there, and we did the Royal Café thing, and so, and they're taught, you know. And one of the ideas somebody drew on the table: we should
0: stop shooting on ourselves. (laughs) You have to say that really, really carefully, Beth.
1: Yes, you stop shooting on yourself because, like, not everything is important. What is the most important? Yes, yes. If you are dealing with a suicide prevention line, if you are dealing with, you know, refugees. Yes, and and in fact, staff. With those kinds of jobs exposed to those kinds of situations, you are in danger of burnout and secondary trauma and stress, and that's why you need to take care of yourself as part of your doing your work. And the so, same no, thing-
0: so quick, quick, so quick question for you. So, quick question. Um, uh, when you do a self care workshop, you know, I always joke with people the people who take time management workshops are the people who are really good at managing their time. Do you are you finding with your self care workshops, and then I want to dig into what that looks like, do you find that those are the people that are most good at taking care of the, taking care of themselves? No, no. Not okay. I heard yesterday. That, quite. Oh, good. It's I'm so glad. Good.
1: Well, hey, we uh, people talking about their burnout and stress. I mean, part of it is the process in the workshop.
0: Yes, I bet. Um,
1: for individuals, what I do, uh, Lisa Sherman and I, in the book, we came up with the Happy Healthy Nonprofit, the nonprofit burnout assessment, and it's a scale of passion going from passion driven to passion depleted there's four different stages and um and you take this diagnostic and part of it's to educate people about the symptoms of burnout because it's sneaky
0: and um and because sometimes because is it true that does does burnout actually manifest itself or present itself as something different does it like present itself as whiny and you miss it
1: Yeah, I mean, there's there's can be physical symptoms, there's mood symptoms. um, And, and, you know, in the beginning stages, you can keep you know, you can keep powering through it. But if you get towards, you know, passion challenge, or even passion depleted, you can be depressed, you can, it can lead to illness, physical illness. And the idea is you don't want to get to that fourth stage. You want to be aware of the symptoms and making sure that you have a self care regimen or routine, which allows you to replenish your energy source.
0: Right. So, um, so you clearly, this book is making the case for self-care. I have a cartoon I use on my Facebook page. It caption reads, of course, you're tired. Changing the world is exhausting, right? Tell listeners about what is it you mean when you say self-care? What does it look like?
1: That's a great question. Okay. So in the book, we talk about the, um, the five spheres of self-care and it's our relationship with these different things. So we have our self, and in the self, we have the, 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 the pillars of self-care, which are of course are physical health, okay? You know, sleep, nutrition, exercise, but it goes beyond that. You need that in place to be able to change your habits. But it's downtime, um, meditation, a spiritual piece. Um,
0: the next, so, so, so the first one is ourselves. What's our number two? Our relationship with
1: ourselves. The next one is relationship with others. In this case, our families, our friends, our communities. Um, the next is the environment, both our uh, inside our homes, our our offices, as well as being outside in the environment. The fourth is our relationship to work. <laughs> right. you know uh, uh, our relationship with other people at work, um, our relationship to money, um, all of those things around work. And then the, the last um, because both my uh, co-author and I are, are sort of technology uh, pioneers, we think that um, people need to practice tech wellness and that's our relationship with technology. So it's healthy and not unhealthy.
0: I'm going to come back to that.
1: Yes. Yeah. I mean, yep. So having self-care is identifying things that you can make a habit and a practice across those different areas.
0: In each of those spheres. Yes. So we're talking with Beth Cantor. Uh, She's an expert uh, for over 35 years in nonprofit capacity building and an internationally recognized nonprofit thought leader and trainer. She is a master trainer, blogger, and the author of a new book, The Happy Healthy Nonprofit, Strategies for Impact Without Burnout, available for pre-order on Amazon right at this very minute. So we need some examples. I've got listeners who are on their ellipticals, they're in their car and they're saying, <laughs> okay, it sounds, a, maybe this sounds a little woo woo, but I'm going to go with it because I feel lousy. Right. So Beth, bring it to life for me and, uh, and, and the listeners out there, give some examples. What can they do right away? Give us a couple of them. Sure. Um, so that, so we have some really good takeaways here.
1: Sure. So, um, for uh, examples of a self-care plan and we have templates in the book and I actually have a fantastic self-care inventory because it has to be customized. It has to be something you're willing to do. So the self, you know, get seven to nine hours of sleep per night, which is the recommendation of the national sleep foundation. And if you have a Fitbit, you can actually track your, the amount of sleep you're getting and you can journal how you're feeling the next day. Um, yep. Eat more fruits and vegetables every day. Get 10,000 steps of walking. I mean, those are pillars of, you know, physical health. Um, Incorporate some downtime, you know, whether that's taking, you know, the comp time at work that you're owed or don't sacrifice your vacation. That downtime is important. Or maybe it's uh, getting up a half hour earlier before you have to go into the office and, you know, and spending some time journaling or in self-reflection. Um, you know, with others and relationships, you know, make that regular date with your partner or your children, um, give your relationships attention. I mean, sometimes we get so caught up in work. We don't call, you know, our parents or, or whatever we lose, we lose touch with that. Um, if you have negative relationships in your life, you know, start to divest of those and move consciously away from people who, you know, bring you down environment, um, clear your clutter from your desk, um, you know, rearrange the office. Um, some nonprofits, actually, we have some examples where they've done, they have beautiful spaces for not that much money, uh, communal spaces, mm-hmm. standing desks, um, Um, work and money, um, I I already said, take comp time when, uh, when, when you're, when work-related events in the evening, if you attend work-related events, don't feel like you have to come in the office at eight o'clock the next morning. Take that comp time.
0: It's interesting. I, um, a lot of, a lot of nonprofit organizations allow people to carry forward their vacation. And I actually find that maybe this is a, um, maybe some will disagree with me. But when I was at GLAAD, I made people take. I didn't. I, you could cu- you could carry over a very small percentage of it, but the idea of vacation is that you're actually supposed to take it in the year in which you work for, a, and that's for a very specific reason. And it's a lot about what you're talking about here, right?
1: Yeah, because you need that downtime to be able to come back refreshed and be productive. Some organizations, I mean, there's a move around unlimited vacation. And from the research that I looked at, it looks like it backfires because people are afraid to take it because culturally it may be frowned upon. But in the nonprofits that we interviewed that had really good vacation policies, managers kind of work uh, as a team with HR. And if they see somebody who hasn't taken their vacation or is burning the midnight oil, they encourage them to take the time off.
0: So you you raised something that I think is very important, and it goes back to uh, Joan as a uh, a Starbucks drink uh, and Joan as the the executive director who allowed her development director to show up to a board meeting wearing a heart monitor. Um, The culture change, uh, people will follow the lead of the folks they work for. They'll follow the lead of the leader. Is that where the culture change has to start? Does it have to start at the top, or can it start elsewhere? I'm curious.
1: Okay, I've seen example. Yes, yes, Anne. I've seen both examples, okay? But let's look at this um, from the leadership perspective. Leadership is very important. And I found, like, three different kinds of executive directors related to this well-being in the workplace. First was uh, the people who were really supported uh, of it, of the idea, made sure it was... Not only in just policy, but it was in actions because um, your actions as a leader are contagious. Um, so there were others that gave it kind of lip service. Yeah, self care is important, but get that work done. Um, right. and, and would not, um, you know, and would not model it themselves, but just that kind of lip service. And then the others that were kind of uh, considered it woo woo. I mean, I heard stories of people. Asking, you know, to just do things like yoga in the workplace or right. those kinds of things, and actually got fired because they thought they were goofing off or whatever. And then there's actually a fourth that I've been hearing about since I've been talking about this. Um, it's the executive director that has gotten on the self-care wagon, but is, a, is suggesting to staff that they practice self-care the, in the way that they practice it. Like we're going to do yoga. Um, and the point is, is that you have people. Self care is a customized thing. People have to pick and choose what's going to work for them. It can't be mandated.
0: Is the um, does the board have, in your experience, have a role to play? I mean, can you know a, a good engaged board, engaged at the right altitude, not swinging down on the tarmac, but up at you know five ten thousand feet? Do you think board chairs and the board see any of this? Do you think that they have any ability to? um m- move the needle on this inside the organizations they govern
1: absolutely i think as part of uh, organization strategic plans or you know uh it's it's not just internal communication you have to also think about you know cultural norms what, what is the the cultural values of the organization and and well-being should be part of it because it's going to make the organization more attractive to younger talent for, for one and it's going to keep the turnover rate low
0: <laughs> well i think you that's boy, and and that is right uh, that i, I mean If I grapple with anything, I mean, frankly, uh, I am gainfully employed doing a lot of transition strategy work and a lot of change management that comes as a result of people who can't stay on the bus because the bus has overheated, right? Yeah, exactly. um, so um, I would rather put myself out of business in that particular line of the work I do uh, if it means that people actually see these jobs as marathons instead of sprints.
1: Absolutely. Um, I mean, leadership is so important and, and the behavior they model. Um, and if they're burned out, if they're in a workaholic mode, um, that's, that becomes the cultural
0: norm in the organization. All right, so let's go back. Did you call it tech? self care is that what you called it's it tech wellness tech wellness tech wellness yes. i lo- i love this phrase okay so everybody who's listening and i am taking notes too because uh, like you i um i could work all the time and uh, if my wife were uh, nearby she would say she does she does <laughs> work all the time um but I am going to play racquetball at lunchtime today, so that's my that's my self care moment. Um, and you know what I can do is I can put little faces on the balls. So if I have any kind of anger management issues, I just I just take them out on the little blue ball. It's really kind of good. Um, oh, that's right. But let's talk about I like this tech wellness. Um, one of the things I hear most often. Is about, is about how connected people feel, how, how difficult it is to disconnect. And then the other thing, and I, I think you mentioned it somewhere, is this notion that, you know, if I have an idea while I'm binging on House of Cards and I happen to be doing that at midnight when you tell me I should have been gone, I should already be asleep, but let's say I'm still up, right? And so I send that idea to my staff member who sees that I sent them an email at one o'clock. It drives them crazy. So what is tech, so I need some, I need some practical takeaways. How can I, what can I do differently in the tech well, to be, to, to be tech well for me and for my staff to help people? I, cause I think this is a huge thing.
1: Okay. So let's just talk about the individual for a second and then we'll talk about bringing it into the workplace. So, okay. So, um, there's actually, are you familiar with the DSM, uh, D-S-I-M, Diagnostic and Statistical uh, Manual of Mental Health. I am not. Okay, so, you know, if somebody has ADD, if they're bipolar, you know, it's listed in there and the the diagnostic and the treatment. So there's um, a whole, over the last few years, there's been a whole series of Internet addictions, you know, not just addictions to pornography, but things like um, iPhone separation anxiety People yeah. actually experience anxiety when they don't have the um, iPhone in their hand. Um, and the way out of that is to start to disconnect. Like, for example, um, setting up a charging station at your front door and having a policy around all family devices go there. You know, lights out curfew time for the devices. It's especially important if you have teens like I do. Um, and I, you know, I was really bad too. I, I work with social media and um, the, I had, I used my iPhone as a, uh, an alarm clock. And so of course I lack the, yep. I'm whipping off emails, you know, right before I go to bed or I'm looking at Facebook or I look at CNN and I have nightmares. And what I do first thing in the morning when the alarm goes off, I look at my email and I whip yep. off emails so I kicked my iPhone out of the bedroom, and I got an old-fashioned alarm clock. Um, I felt re- I, I actually had to have a glass of water by my, on my night table because, you know, I had, needed to hold something. But I got over <laughs> it. I got over it. And you know what? Right. If you look at that screen within two hours of going to bed, it disrupts your circadian rhythms. So you're cheating yourself out of a good night's sleep. I was sleeping okay. better. You know, I did, awesome. ho- I did it during the holidays when it was a little bit slow, and, and it worked. Every now and then I lapse, you know, but um, it was the best thing I did in terms of tech wellness. Bring it into the workplace, um, that requires a discussion. I mean, there's so many different, I mean, some organizations we interviewed actually had policies um, around uh, not sending emails or responding emails over the weekend. Now, of course, if you're in a field where, you know, it's emergency, you have to be on, then they, you know, have rotations of people responding and protocols. I see. Um, I, I think, um, executive directors should learn how to schedule their emails. If you want to write it at a midnight, you know, at midnight on Saturday. Yeah. But use a scheduling software to send it out on Monday morning, you know,
0: give, um, give, uh, I know about them. Give what, what do you have a favorite scheduling software that you use?
1: Um, I have, um, I actually don't use it. <laughs> I, <try> to- <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, I actually- You've been I- found I- out. Yeah. I mean, there's lots of plugins if you use Gmail. Um, And I'm not sure I don't use Outlook, but Outlook might have something where you can schedule the email or just keep it in draft. And when you go in Monday morning, send it out.
0: Right. You know, right. I, you know th- this is just not that hard. Right. Putting it in a draft folder is the easiest thing. But if you just Google, I, I, I know a couple of, I used to know them off the top of my head because I recommend them to my clients all the time. But if you just Google scheduling software for emails, it, honestly, it's just amazing how much of a difference it makes to staff not to get an email that for some reason they look at the time and the, the time that the email gets sent. I, I never do, but staff members that this is one of those things where people follow leads.
1: Right. What of else course, What else can you show, do? They want to show that they're working hard too. So if you are an totally. executive director, has that pattern, of course you're going to answer right away. And if there's people CC, then it becomes this badge of honor thing, like replying right away. Yeah, I'm on it. I'm on it. And you want to break that dysfunctional cycle and, and maybe you're you to actually explore why you're doing it? Is it because you don't trust your staff? Was it maybe like me? I'm, Oh, I thought of this thing and I'm afraid I'm going to forget it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, so, so I'll just whip off the email and put it in draft.
0: Right. I think understanding the root cause of why you're doing it is actually, super important because it may be, it it may be for good reason, but it also may be you're micromanaging your staff and double checking that something you asked them to do actually got done. It may actually be, you know, you may have some, may have some challenges in your organization about how you communicate to one another about tasks that are completed or what, you know, what goals have been achieved. So it may actually be covering for something else. That's a problem. Right. A trust Um,
1: issue or performance issue.
0: Yeah. So I have, I want to hear one or one or two more, and then I want to go to one last question.
1: Sure. Um, uh, uh, There's so much in the tech area. But um, one thing that came up actually in some leadership workshops I was teaching, I had them um, uh, do uh, improvised skits on situations where they're trying to read body language. And Uh we did this one where there's um, one staffer at a meeting who's texting under the table while the meeting's going on. (laughs) And this was such a hot topic uh, in the group. You know, half the executive directors were saying, oh, that person's disconnected. They have to be older. Um, They're not paying attention. They've checked out of the meeting. I called them out on it. And the other half, more younger folks, were saying, no, that's, we're checking, uh, we're Googling the thing you're talking about or we're pulling up a document. We're, we're highly engaged. So it's kind right. of like if that happens at your staff meetings, you should have, first of all, have a policy around whether you can use devices at the staff meeting. And then actually to have that conversation with, with someone, if you're the director and you're seeing someone on their device, ask them what they're doing. Right. <laughs> Is it to support the meeting or have
0: they checked out? Right, or if you have a policy that says please don't use your electronics or keep them above the table, because when you put them below the table, it feels surreptitious. It feels like you know you're doing something you shouldn't be doing, right? Yeah. So keep yeah. the you know keep the electronic on the table and say, can I? I'm going to Google that, right? I mean, how about being proactive at your meeting and communicating forward as opposed to somebody wait, waiting for somebody to say to you, so wait, 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 we don't have electronics. Can you please you know get off your you know get off your phone? So um, yeah, I I, mean, I I do think I do think. Do that in your things.
1: class, right? Don't you do that when uh, you te- teach call co- I'm a graduate professor too. So, so I um that, uh, that's my class we role. can't they
0: can't use their phones. Um and I um we learned it in corporate America, management by walking around. I do a 24 person seminar and I walk around my class a lot. And um and I do it because, and sometimes I'll say, hey, Google that, because, I well, let's look at the mission statement of that organization and talk about how they communicate what they do and why it's important. And then, you know, I'll see somebody on Facebook, and I'll just, I'll say, you know, you're not my friend on Facebook. Could you add me? <laughs> so I try to use humor as opposed to um, uh, how I was taught, which was by um, Catholic school nuns who were relatively humorless. So... um uh, let's move away from nuns and to the uh, final question of our um, session today, sadly. Um, have you seen a happy, healthy nonprofit that has really made this change? I want desperately to believe that you, that it can be done and that it makes a difference, That that people don't have to actually play this victim. They don't have to have all their decisions at 10s. If, if you could just, I think, uh, an example of a happy, healthy nonprofit that has engaged in this work would be so inspiring to the list, to the, to the folks that are listening out there.
1: Well, Joan, the good news is I have many examples in the book, on the second half of the book. Um, so we were heartened. Um, but oh, one that's I'd awesome. Like, one I'd like to bring up is the Crisis Response Network, um, which is a suicide um, network, <laughs> suicide um, prevention call-in place. Several hundred employees. It's uh, in Phoenix. It's, it's county county money, private money, um, and they they had a culture of fear. Uh, you know, the only time they saw upper management is when they were escorting somebody to the door. You know, when they were getting fired. <laughs> yeah. um, and luckily, they had a change in leadership. And they hired this young, uh, a, a millennial, Justin Chase, uh, came in, and um, and so he, he wanted to change this culture because he knew that the stress of this kind of job when you're trying, you know, they don't always save someone, and that can be really stressful, uh, but he knew that it just couldn't. Shifted because of this culture of fear. So he went around. And he did a listening tour and engaged um, employees and talking about, you know, about what it's like to work there. And he used something called the 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 uh, the five F's and it's a <laughs> um, and, and they're all <laughs> F words you can say on television. Uh, it comes uh, from, uh, Laura Putnam and it's kind of related to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So yes. it's the the functioning level. Do people have what they need to do their job? Feeling level. Do they feel appreciated and respective the friendship level do people feel connected to one another the forward level do people feel like they have opportunities for growth and the fulfillment level do people feel like they're inspired for a higher purpose so hmm. out of these discussions and they had an employee engagement on uh, committee they felt you know they've been giving them gym memberships but nobody was really using them and they said you know
0: <laughs> they, they didn't well, have time they didn't have time. and uh, Right, they're too busy counting their emails.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, and so they said, you know, it would be really great if we had a place on site, like a little gym with punching bags, that we could let off some steam, you know? so wow, like my little uh, blue
0: racquetballs. Yeah,
1: exactly. And so um, he actually appointed this committee. They picked the equipment. Um, he figured out with this health insurance plan that they would pay for the equipment because it was a health benefit. They, they right. turned a conference room into this mini gym with punching bags and employees started <laughs> using this um the next thing that they did is that you know they had a quiet room you know but nobody was using it yep. um, okay it had fluorescent lights there's bright white walls and there were photographs because they were in phoenix of giant cactus with thorns. <laughs> okay How, that's a quiet room you know so so we put a you know got a group of employees together and they decided oh they were going to paint walls earth color they they got yeah. a secondhand comfortable couch magazines you know some nice lighting and people started using the quiet room, you know for when they had that difficult call. So, um, so this is you know I could go on and on and on with things that they did there, but this is you know roughly the process. You got to involve you got to hear from your employees, you need an employee engagement group that identifies you know these things that you can do to create well-being in in the workplace
0: it's um it's very um heartening and i actually love those five f's um because i do think that those are the kind of the real key components of what makes a happy healthy workplace whether it's a for-profit or a not-for-profit frankly um and um what I'm also hearing is that that was an appetizer to what you will find um, if you pre-order your book on Amazon, which you can do right at this very moment, that there are other stories that will inspire you to um, to believe that it's possible and to give people real plans of how they can get there. Is that what I'm, and I, that's what I'm hearing, which sounds awesome.
1: Yes, yes, exactly. That's uh, that, That's my goal in writing this
0: book. Well, I tell you what, um, it's long overdue for someone to actually have tackled this. And what I'm also hearing you know, for those of you, know, for those of you who may have come to this call skeptical that there's a lot of data and this is, you know, this is Beth's background, right? This is all, this is data driven. It's there's studies involved here. And so, and and then real life examples. So this is not just, uh, what's the phrase? It's not, it's not all woo woo, right? Yeah. Uh, Although there, I, I have learned the, I have two meditation apps, uh, on my on my phone i actually wrote a blog post this week called how to deal with difficult people and one of my items is actually to take 10 minutes and get one of these apps on your phone and just take 10 minutes and you know go go to that quiet room that no longer has photographs of cactus right right or wear a rock in your bra
1: (laughs) okay it's a device called the spire and it measures your breathing and it sends, um, a, if you have your phone nearby, it'll send you a message of when you're stressed or when you're calm or when you're, um,
0: you know, integrate. Oh, so it's a kind of a biofeedback thing going yeah, on. Yeah. And then you get your, Interesting. Stats. <laughs> it's like
1: Interesting. a Fitbit for stress.
0: I see. Okay. I didn't know where you were going with putting a rock in my bra, but now I'm, I'm, I'm happy that you clarified that. And we are sadly on that note out of time. Um, I, I, it. it <clears throat> You need to visit Beth at bethcantor.org, and it's B-E-T-H-K-A-N-T-E-R.org. Follow her on social media. Follow her everywhere she goes. (laughs) I I, I promote stalking here on my podcast. Um, Pre-order her book on Amazon. She is fiercely dedicated to your success, so please do not pass up the opportunities and the resources that she provides every day. Beth, I am um, really happy that you were able to join us. Best of luck with the book, because I really believe it has the potential to make a real difference, and I bet you're really proud of it. I, I, I sure am. <laughs> so, um, again, uh, you, you've been here at uh, at Nonprofits Are Messy, which is a podcast of mine, Joan Gary, where you can find me at JoanGary.com. That's Joan Gary with two R's dot com. Um, Lots of podcasts to choose from, lots of great ones coming up. Um, I've got some folks talking about uh, 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 foundation work and we've got a, a, just a sort of whole array of interesting and diverse um, topics coming down the pike. Uh, And in the meantime, I, as always, like to leave you just by simply saying thank you that, um, you know, I work every day and have the privilege of working with clients all over the country who do the most remarkable work, and they are the most remarkable people. Um, And to be remarkable people doing remarkable work is a gift, and anything people like Beth and I could do to support you in those efforts feels like a gift to us. So thank you so much. We'll see you next time.
1: Nonprofits are Messy is a service of Joan Gary Consulting. Widely known as the nonprofit Dear Abby, Joan's leadership blog reaches over 40,000 unique visitors monthly from over 150 countries. Subscribe at www.joangary.com.